We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Please allow me to introduce myself uh, for anyone I haven't had the privilege of meeting yet. My name is Adam Sanders. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus. And uh, let me just uh, say what a joy it is to have you, particularly those visiting today. Uh, Hopefully you've already felt this, but I want to extend uh, an additional welcome to you and uh, invite you. Please uh, don't just leave after the service. We'd love for you to stick around for a little bit and get to uh, talk with you. Uh, We have a connect table out in the lobby. I uh, promise not to corner you there, but uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about us, we'd love to uh, hear from you and get to know your story a little bit better. Uh, Emmaus, uh, to the saints of Emmaus, what a joy it is to be here uh, week in and week out on the Lord's Day. This is uh, truly a highlight of the week for me to be able to gather with you and, and praise our Lord together. Um, just want to remind you what a joy it is to uh, be a part of this body. And uh, through many different seasons, we've been together through laughing and sorrow, through uh, joy and bitterness, and yet uh, it's been God's kindness to me to be able to walk alongside of you all, and uh, I, I praise the Lord for it. So, uh, With that being said, uh, <laughs> we will go ahead and get started here this morning. So, uh, And in case there's any instrumental or technical difficulties, it is fair to just blame it on me, so uh, we'll assume that I, I did something wrong there. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, so with that being said, uh, I do want to read our text this morning. Oh, before I get there, I do want to just remind you, we have uh, several things coming up this fall for the, uh, for the women, for families, uh, for men. Uh, for those of you who have middle school, high school age students, uh, we have started our student ministry up again, uh, meeting on Sunday nights upstairs. So uh, lots of opportunities to get plugged in and involved uh, in addition to Sunday gatherings. So uh, feel free to check our announcements, uh, come by the Connect table or look on our uh, websites and social media to uh, get plugged in on those. Uh, as always, it's a weighty task to open up the Word of God, and so uh, one I don't take lightly. And so uh, I want to read the text for us this morning, and then uh, pray, and then we'll jump into it. So this is Ecclesiastes 3, verses 16 through 22, and it says this, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For, hap- for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, and all are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Let's pray. Holy God, we come before you this morning, um, lifting high your name. Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, the only mediator between God and man. We lift high the name of Jesus, and Lord, we pray that during this time, from the songs that we sing to the word that is preached to the scriptures that are read, Lord, that your name would be glorified in our midst this morning. Lord, we pray that there is not a person in this room that will not 
leave encouraged in Christ, or that you would draw near each and every man and woman and child in this room, Lord. I pray that your, your spirit would go forth, Lord, to those who are uh, currently walking outside of your fellowship, Lord, or those who are walking in disobedience, Lord. I pray that by your grace that you would uh, come near to them this morning, Lord, that you would draw them near by your grace, Lord, that your kindness uh, and your comfort would be overwhelming to them. Lord, for your saints who are in our midst this morning, we pray that Lord, that your word would not return void as you promised, Lord. May you uh, provide a rebuke where a rebuke is needed, Lord. May you teach where something is needed to be taught. May you uh, edify your body, Lord. And may you draw men and women closer to you in this time that we have. Um, Lord, we recognize that you alone can do this. I am not a skilled enough orator to persuade or convince, Lord. We need you to apply your word to our hearts and to convict us. And so I pray that you would do this even in this time. It's your name I pray, amen. So uh, we're continuing this morning, working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, and over the past several weeks, we've noticed a pattern within this book. Uh, One of the central themes that has been repeating itself over and over again in our time in this book is this idea of hevel, or fleetingness. Um, We've been confronted by this reality that there is a temporary nature to all things related to life under the sun. This is a phrase that's repeated throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. I think one danger we could find ourselves slipping into if we're not careful is to begin to develop a pattern of cynicism that would suggest that because something has a temporary nature, or because there is a fleetingness to it, that means it is of little or no value. Now, in our hearts, I think that most of us know this to be true, but I I wanted to, uh, as I was reflecting on this, I had a thought I wanted to share with you uh, this morning. Uh, Imagine for a moment, uh, and uh, I said this while we were recording in the first service, so hopefully this message gets back to my wife, but uh, imagine for a moment if my wife decided that she wanted to uh, spoil me for the weekend. And uh, so uh, imagine I wake up on Saturday morning and the first sight I have is a large Scooter's pumpkin spice latte awaiting me to greet my lips as I uh, start the day. From there, I wake up to a day filled with uh, family and close friends, meaningful conversations surrounding Christ and and other areas of interest that I have. Perhaps there's even some tickets to a Cornhusker football game involved in this as well that that occupy my Saturday afternoon. And... uh, All of this concludes with a lovely evening of dinner with my family and a nice large sirloin steak with, uh, of course, all the fixings, right? Uh, Mushrooms, baked potato, all of these kind of things. So uh, very little vegetables, mostly carbs in this case. Um, So imagine for this moment, uh, the next day, of course, waking up on the Lord's Day and getting to spend it with you, the saints of Emmaus, and getting to enjoy that time and company worshiping our Lord together. But imagine after all that, if on Monday morning when the alarm went off at 5.30, as it always does, imagine me turning to my wife and saying, you know, this weekend was pretty good, but I don't feel happy right now. So it was all a big waste of time. Well, first off, that would probably not be very good uh, for my marriage to uh, take such an approach. But I think most of us would rightly see that the problem was not in the things experienced, right? Those things mentioned... uh, Uh, are relatively good things, right? Things that we can surround ourselves with and find enjoyment out of. So for me to walk away from that experience and feel as though it was a waste of time, uh, 
would signal not a problem with those things, but a problem within my own heart. A problem that I have tried to take something and elevate it to a place that it never belonged in. And friends, this is one of the beauties of the book of Ecclesiastes, is it has a way of shocking us and reminding us into the reality of where things rightly fit within God's created order. Uh, We see this in our passage today as Solomon moves from some of the events that are happening in our lives to looking uh, specifically at human life itself. Where you see, we live in a time in 21st century America where the the effort to deify the self is on a fever pitch running towards uh, this goal with uh, reckless abandon. There is a belief surrounding almost every thought and system and idea that man is the ultimate source of meaning, purpose, and good. And the only way to fully achieve this is to get out of the way and allow man to figure it out. Now, while it might feel like we live in a unique time, uh, as is the case for every time and era, there are unique factors and, and ideologies that pop up. But what we see is that this truly is nothing new. In fact, the effort to deify man and, and surplace or supplant God uh, is one as old as Genesis chapter 3 in the garden when a serpent Uh, Satan himself approached the first man and woman and said, Did God really say, Eat of this fruit and you will be like God? Friends, this lie of human deification has existed ever since then. And while we've seen it take different forms from men and women trying to build a tower all the way up to the heavens to try to reach the place of God, to the various ideologies and efforts that we've seen throughout history, we see the case is that under the sun... Man has found himself seeking to replace God to drastic consequences. I don't have time to get into all the ways that we've seen this bore out, but the gift of our passage today is Solomon reminds us that while we are humans under the sun, we too are a part of the fleeting nature of this earth. And friends, while this is a very sad and often painful reality for us during this time, I hope that we'll find encouragement in the fact that what we are going to see Solomon encouraging us towards today is not to buy into the hopelessness of the the shortness of life or the fleetingness of life, but actually to reorient ourselves to have faith in the one who gives eternal life. So this is going to be our task today as we work our way through our text So uh, I want to invite you to look again with me at verses 16 and 17, and uh, we're going to uh, see what the Lord has for us today. It says this, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Friends, this is a... uh, very devastating reminder to us this morning. Uh, Last week we saw in our passage as Solomon was considering the seasons of life, the flow of time, how there truly is a, a time appointed for all things in God's providence. There are times of laughter and joy. Unfortunately, too, there are times of sorrow and tears. There's a time to sow for the harvest. There's also a time that we reap the benefits of that sowing. And at the end of our passage last week, uh, Solomon provided us kind of a proverbial break in the clouds. As we have been considering life under the sun, Solomon takes a moment to consider 
that it is God himself who has ordained eternity, that all the things that are of God have eternal weight and significance to them. They are not simply limited to a short shelf life here on this earth, but there is a, a purpose and meaning behind these things. And so while this is a theme that we need to have in our mind undergirding us as we go forward, we see again that Solomon peeks his head back down below the clouds and continues in his uh, looking around at the works of men. And friends, what a tragic and devastating thing we see here. As he mentions, uh, he looks around and he sees to the places where there was an expectation for justice to occur, that wickedness is found. In a place meant for righteousness, there too he finds wickedness. And friends, we must take a moment to step back and, and recognize the pain of this reality here on earth. We see so many things, many of them gifts from God, meant to uh, benefit and help with human flourishing, have been corrupted by the evils of sin. Many of these things can be quite painful to us. As we find ourselves looking to places and people, to institutions and organizations, places where we have the expectation and hope that righteousness and and impartiality will mark these areas, and yet oftentimes we find that these too have been corrupted by the evils of this world. Perhaps many of us today feel the pain of this reality as we ourselves have experienced the hurt that comes from evilness replacing righteousness. Perhaps we looked to something or someone for hope only to find ourselves experiencing the pain and hurt that sin brings. And friends, while it feels uh, impossible to take enough time to sit and allow for um, a meditation on this, allow for us to acknowledge the pains that we feel in this, um, I think it's important for us to not stay here for too long. For we see that Solomon, even in looking upon this, recognizes that even within this, without minimizing it or covering it over, recognizes that even this too has a shelf life. We saw this in verse 17. He says that God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Can be very difficult under the sun as we look around and we see partiality and wickedness being dispensed by those who are meant to to handle things with righteousness, and yet we have the encouragement in knowing that God is not unaware to these things. This is not something that God has simply missed in his divine counsel, it didn't slip through the cracks. The fact that it exists is not evidence that he has given his approval to it either. But what we see is that just as there is a time to be born and a time to die, just as there is a time to plant and a time to harvest, there is also an appointed time in which God will judge all wickedness and unrighteousness. And friends, this too is grace. Even though it might not feel like it in the moment, perhaps we find ourselves looking around and crying out, How long, O Lord? How long must wickedness prevail? And yet, friends, this is God's grace to you. For you see, if God stepped in at the moment of evil, at the moment that wickedness and evil and sin was perpetuated, all of us would have been cut out. 
Not a single one of us would be left standing. And yet we see in the scriptures that it's God's kindness to us that he is long-suffering in his judgment. That God is patient with the wicked. For you see, he is not prolonging his judgment so that he might allow evil to have victory, but he is prolonging his judgment so that he might take rebellious men and women and draw them near to himself. See, this is the beauty of the gospel because Jesus Christ came and living a perfect life, fully obedient to the law of God. And when he went to the cross, he took upon himself the sins of his people. Jesus Christ paid through the wrath of God the penalty for your sins. And so, friends, it's his kindness to us as we see wickedness prevailing. We know that God has not forgotten. But in his kindness, he is using this time to draw men and women from every tongue and tribe and nation throughout time and history and space. He is bringing men and women who once cursed his name. He is drawing them near through his kindness in Jesus Christ. And so, friends, this is the beauty of the gospel. And so I I want to encourage you and not minimize if you find yourself today under the affliction of pain and suffering and you see evilness and sin and wickedness around you, I want to encourage you to be reminded that there is a shelf life on these things. God is not indifferent to your suffering. But God in His kindness is working in the midst of these things. So I call upon you today to have hope in this. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I would call upon you to consider this reality. You are here today on borrowed breath. God is your creator. He is the one who has put your very breath and being together. And so I ask you today, if you feel the Spirit working in your heart, that you would cry out to him, that you would consider Jesus in this moment. It's his kindness that you're here today. It's his kindness that you find yourself living and breathing, that you've been placed in the the family that you have, that you've come to this building today, and I ask you to consider the things of the Lord in this moment. So we see as Solomon continues to uh, reflect upon this painful reality, he also points to another problem under the sun. We notice this in our next passage. Let's read this together in verses 18 through 20, where it says this, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity, and all go to one place. All are from the dust, and to the dust all return. Friends, as we consider this obsession and quest of mankind to to achieve morality, to achieve uh, independence from the creation, to find ourselves at the top of the heap, pushing for uh, life eternal, meaning, purpose, outside of God and his designs. Uh, What a devastating observation this is. Think about this for a moment. Solomon looks around and concludes that the greatest kings that have ever existed the most important dignitaries, nobles, powerful warriors, generals, all of them have found themselves similar to the plight of the squirrels running around in my backyard. They were born, and now they find themselves dead. Friends, what a devastating realization as we seek to find meaning here underneath the sun, 
as we look to objects and things and possessions to have the realization that our lot is similar to those of the animal around us. It's very humbling. Now, I feel uh, beholden to clarify a few things, um, such as the nature at times we see that uh, there is often a devaluing of humans within our, within our society. It can be very easy to joke in ways that are very morbid. It can be very easy to find ourselves valuing uh, creation uh, and other things over human life. Uh, I want to take a moment, though, to, to just recognize that Solomon is not saying this as a devaluation of humans. So as we think back to the scriptures, we, we know that there is something specially unique in God's creation of human beings. In fact, even creation itself grounds this reality for us as we're looking in the book of Genesis. We see that God is speaking the heavens and the earth into existence. He is creating all things. And as you're thinking about such a mighty and majestic work, that it would be a large nebulous planet or star that would be coming into existence as his crescendo. Perhaps the majestic mountains or the Grand Canyon would highlight the majesty of God's creative work. And yet what we see is this is not how the scriptures testify, but... The crescendo, the, the moment of height when it comes to God's creativity and power is shown in his creation of man. In Genesis 1.26, he concludes his creative work by drawing man from the dirt and breathing life into him and giving him the imago Dei. Literally, the image of God is placed upon man. And so, friends, we cannot look upon this and see this as anything other than man occupies a distinct and important place within God's creation. Man is not animal, and animal is not man. We see that God has given to man a higher calling. Similarly, we see this reflected throughout scriptures. When we see things like murder, we see that there's something uh, emphatically different when a human being is killed as opposed to an animal. Uh, We consider places like Psalm 8, which my kids are memorizing right now through song. Uh, I wish I had a video to show you because it's pretty cute. But... uh, In Psalm 8, we see that man is given a role that is elevated above creation, just below the heavenly beings. And so, friends, we cannot take from this statement to believe that this cynical, empiricistic nature, that man is simply uh, an atomic mess of molecules, no different from a virus or a bacteria or a naked mole rat. They are unique in God's sight. And yet what we see here... And Solomon's recognition is not that he is devaluing man beneath the creature, but what he is doing is he is rightly orienting us to reality. For you see, when it comes to being creator, when it comes to being eternal and all-powerful and sustainer, when we look at ourselves and hold ourselves up to God, we look much more like the beast of the field than we do the God of heaven. For you see, we are but created And he is the creator. And friends, there's a freedom in this reality when we see ourselves rightly in light of who God is. When we see that meaning comes not from ourselves, but from our creator himself. This gives us the posture needed to rightly live under the sun. For you see, he is the one who has made all things. And from him we find life and light and happiness. So as Solomon reflects on this, he says this is a test for man. It's a test meant to humble us. 
not humble us and turn us to despair, but humble us to turn us towards the one who is rightly over us. We are not equipped to derive our own purposes and meaning. Only God can give that to us. We see this in the conclusion of our passage as Solomon reflects these final things. Let's read verses 21 through 22 together, where he says this, Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So this is a bit of a curious passage when we look at it uh, simply by itself, uh, particularly verse 21 where we see here, who knows whether the spirit of man goes up, whether the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. On looking that on face value and, and taking it by itself, we might be tempted to see that Solomon here is having a, a crisis. He's having a moment of doubt and skepticism and wondering if there is an afterlife. Is there anything beyond what we can simply see here in the temporal nature of that which is under the sun? I'm hesitant to give this uh, passage that credence. Um, Part of the reason for that is the context we find ourselves in. Perhaps you have noticed it, but it seems as though ever increasingly within our society, whether it be the halls of academia or the public sphere of discourse, those who have strong convictions related to truth tend to be seen as those who are uh, misguided and untrustworthy. Whereas those who are willing to deal in doubt and skepticism, those who are willing to poke fun of ideas or beliefs or faith, are seen as those who are most wise. And yet, friends, I want to remind us this morning that this is not uh, wisdom according to God's economy. In fact, throughout scriptures, we see that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. When we look at individuals who are seen as faithful in God's economy, we see not those who are the most willing to, to doubt, the most, those who are most willing to deal in skepticism and cynicism, but we see it as those who have faith, those who are willing to put their hope in that which is not seen and faith in that which has not yet been accomplished. And so, friends, I invite us to consider this posture. Uh, when we find ourselves doubting, may we not stay there in those positions. May we be like the one who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Friends, in this moment, Solomon is not uh, giving us a rallying cry to skepticism. But when we look at this in light of the full passage, we see that he's further grounding his argument. Solomon is not saying there is no afterlife. Solomon is not saying there's no eternity, but Solomon is saying that we are finite beings who have no charge or control over these things. Solomon is not calling us to a place of skepticism towards these things, but he's inviting us to turn to the one who knows these things and place our trust in him alone. We see this in verse 22 as well, where he says, who can bring him to see what will be after him? We're reminded of our finiteness in the grand scheme of things. And in light of this, I want to take a moment to switch into our pastoral charges. Uh, in light of this text we've just read, we see that Solomon offers up a, a prescription. God, in his kindness today, has told us uh, 
what it is to respond faithfully in this. So I want to read that passage again, uh, first as I address the believers in the room. Notice what he says in verse 22. It says, So that I saw there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice, rejoice excuse me, in his work, for that is his lot. Christian, I hope that these words find you today in a place uh, and bring comfort to you. Uh, it's not lost on me that for many of us uh, in the room today, perhaps we find ourselves uh, in various different positions in life. Perhaps many of us find the weight of the world weighing heavily upon our souls. I must acknowledge there was a time in my life where uh, young Adam Sanders was marked by more of a, a laissez-faire attitude. Um, uh, what's for dinner is about the only important question that I uh, need to answer on the day-to-day -day basis. And, uh, but uh, I'll acknowledge to that as, uh, as the Lord has granted and, and graciously given me um, a wonderful church family to live within, uh, a family of my own, three kids and a wife, mortgage payments and other things. Uh, I find myself being much more concerned with big picture questions. What's going on in life around me? Perhaps many of you find yourself in a position like this. You feel overwhelmed. As you find yourself feeling like it's out of control. Perhaps family has been difficult. Perhaps the job that you had placed your investment and energy to has left you struggling. I want to remind you today when we come to Christ, we have this promise that the eternal things are no longer upon our shoulders. It is not upon us exclusively to bear the burdens of life. In fact, the passages remind us that we don't control the future. So perhaps you're today as a family and you're, you're wondering, what is life going to be like for my children? What will things be like? Will they be following Christ? Will they marry a godly spouse? Friends, I just want to encourage you in this moment to place your trust in the Lord. And what does it look like to do that? It looks like being faithful today. This is Solomon's charge to us. He says that we are to rejoice in the work that is before us. So Christian, may this be our posture today. We cannot control what has happened in the past you have no control over the future, and yet you can place your trust in the one who does. You can place your trust in Christ Jesus today, and in his goodness, you can be faithful now, today. So labor well with the work that God has given you, with the family that God has placed before you, with the job that you have. Serve them faithfully and allow the Lord to handle the rest. Trust that he will take your offering of faithfulness and do with it more than you could have ever hoped or imagined. And God in his kindness we see so often is gracious and that he takes our feeble offering and he uses them in ways we could have never hoped or imagined. So may this be a word of comfort to you this morning, Christian. Um, there's anyone here today, for my final charge, I want to speak to you today if you would, would be honest and say that you don't know the Lord. I just want to say I'm really thankful you're here today. Um, I've been praying for you this week as I considered this passage. and I think the Lord has brought you here for a reason. I don't think it's an accident. I want you to consider this passage today and recognize uh, 
hopefully it's been my prayer that the Lord would bring a humility to you as you have been living life. Um, I know no person is the same, but perhaps you find yourself today living under the sun with the idea that, um, that you have to find meaning within yourself, that you are the source of it, that there is no God, there is no afterlife, that you alone derive meaning for yourself. And so perhaps you've been seeking this out through positions and authority, through, through financial gain and well-being. I just want to invite you for a second to consider how that's been going for you. Do you find that no matter which promotion you get, you still find yourself looking to the next thing? Do you find that no matter how many relationships you've found yourself in and no matter how attractive the person might be, that it never quite satisfies the itch you find? I want to invite you to consider that that these things were not meant to provide you eternal security or happiness. Perhaps you find yourself in the opposite way. You find yourself elevating the things around you to provide all happiness and meaning in your life. I want to share a a bit of a personal anecdote. It's a little bit of a bizarre story, so I apologize for that, but I do think it has some meaning. But when I first moved to Kansas City in 2014, uh, some of my fondest memories since I got here involved sitting around a booth at Pizza Ranch off of uh, Inglewood uh, with some brothers in Christ. Um, I know some of you uh, maybe don't know the context of that. Pizza Ranch is essentially uh, KFC meets uh, every pizza buffet, Uh, only slightly more magical. So uh, (laughs) take that for what it's worth. (laughs) But as I reflect back to those moments and sitting around the table with those brothers and eating that pizza, I'll be honest with you, there are times in my life since those moments where I found myself feeling, feeling a little bit lonely, feeling empty, and uh, I have drove to Pizza Ranch and sat in those same booths I used to sit in, eating that same pizza. And uh, while I will testify, I still find the pizza enjoyable. Uh, it doesn't feel the same. And friends, I would submit to you that this is a moment of recognition that these things were never meant to provide for us these feelings of satisfaction. Perhaps all of us have these moments we can think of to a, maybe a, a former time and a former place where life felt right and felt good. Those fleeting moments where you were drinking a pumpkin spice latte at a Huskers game and you felt like it can't get any better than this. And yet you find yourself days later saying, hmm, that scratched the itch, but it's still there. I would invite you to consider today that these things were never meant to satisfy your eternal longing and need for purpose. And only Christ can do this. If you're here today and you found yourself looking to possessions and people, uh, food and drink, sensual pleasures, and yet you find yourself continually asking the question, uh, why do I still feel empty? Why do I still find myself needing? I would invite you to consider the Savior today. Jesus Christ and his kindness has died on your behalf. He has placed himself in your place. You who are the needy recipient, you who are the one who is deserving of God's punishment, he has taken that punishment on your behalf. And he has drawn you near to himself. If you would but cry out to him today, it's his delight to save you and draw you near. It's his promise that you will have an eternity 
with him in which there will be no more tears and longing, that you will have hope eternal in the presence of your Savior. And so I invite you today to consider Christ Jesus. If you find yourself looking and longing today, I invite you to consider Christ and come to him. And I promise you, it's his delight to save. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for even the painful reminder in your word, Lord, as we look out and see the world as it is. And Lord, we recognize that surely this is not all that it could be. Um, Lord, I pray that there, if there's anyone who is genuinely seeking and looking for hope this morning, I pray that your spirit would draw them to Jesus Christ. I pray that they would would look to you and they would find in you the satisfaction that they've been missing, Lord. Lord, I pray for your saints in this room this morning. Perhaps there are some in our midst who find themselves in a similar season and posture that they have found themselves looking to, uh, looking to find hope in other places, Lord, than they have found themselves uh, being left empty. Lord, I pray that you would just renew in us a, a reminder, Lord, this this painful yet hopeful reminder that, Lord, the things on earth are fleeting, and yet, Lord, in you we find eternal hope and satisfaction. Lord, I pray if there are any in the room this morning that do not know that, that you would call them near. Uh, be with us as we come uh, before your table this morning, and may you be glorified in it. In your name I pray. Amen. The following audio is from Amaze KC. More information about Amaze KC is available online at www.amazekc.com.